Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Stephanie Vitaco with Keller Williams Realty in Encino, California. Last year, she closed 179 transactions with a total sales volume of $100 million. Her average sales price was $558,000, of which 25% were buyers and 75% were sellers. She has a six-member team, one buyer agent, one lead administrator, one administrator, one listing coordinator, one transaction coordinator, and one team leader. Stephanie Vitaco is the team leader of the Stephanie Vitaco team. She's been an agent for 27 years. In her best year, 2010, she closed 349 transactions worth $122 million. In this call, Stephanie talks about her international modeling career before real estate, how she got a fast start by assuming she would close three to four homes per month, asking the top agents in her office what she should do every day, and then doing it. How she gets the majority of her business by repeating referrals from past clients and sphere of influence. The details of her direct mail piece she sends to her database every month. Why humor is more important than statistics. How she wins 83% of her listing appointments even when most sellers are interviewing two to three agents. Why she's been successful in both rapidly rising and rapidly falling markets why she belongs to four networking groups, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Stephanie. Thank you. Hey, Stephanie. It's great to have you here. Before we get into what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, I was very young. I had been traveling overseas and working overseas, and I got into the business at age 21. So it was pretty much school and then a short career in the fashion industry abroad. What made you decide to get into real estate? I had been traveling for several years, and I realized in the industry that I was in, it wasn't going to have the longevity that I wanted. And I had an acquaintance who was doing very well in real estate. He was very similar in my age, and I saw what he was doing, and I thought, you know, that looks interesting. I think I'll give that a whirl. It was as simple as that. If I leave this alone, people will wonder. So I'm going to go ahead and ask, when you say you were in the fashion industry and you were traveling across the world, were you a model or what were you doing? I was. Um, I was fortunate enough to have experienced many different countries and their cultures um, from the time I was 17 till 21. Great way to see the world. Great education, actually, in traveling Stephanie, how long have you been in real estate? It will be 27 years this coming March. Going back to when you were 21 and you got in the business, 
Do you think you had a fast start or a slow start? It's interesting. I had absolutely no concept of what was fast and what was slow, what I should be doing or what I shouldn't be doing. So there was a board in the back of the office and it, would, it had the sales and who made the sales and the address and the price, etc. And I would go back there and I would look and I'd say, gee, I got to get my name up on that board. And there were several guys actually in the office that did very well. And their name was on the board at least three or four times every month. So I just assumed that's what you were supposed to do. So within the first, it did take me about a good six months. And then I started selling three to four houses a month. And I had no concept of right or wrong or any idea of production. I was just figuring that's what you were supposed to do. Do you recall how you were generating your initial business, what you were actually doing to make those three to four sales happen each month? Absolutely. I sat down with one of the guys in the office and he gave me a four by six or three by five index card. I asked him, what, what am I supposed to do? And he took the index card and he wrote, number one, door knock. Number two, sit open houses. Number three, take floor time. And number four, show buyers. So I took that three by five card. I stuck it on my desk and I just followed it. I just was very diligent about doing whatever they told me to do. So I sat an open house every weekend. I followed up with those buyers. I put them in my car. I showed them. Of course, in the beginning, buyers are much easier than, than listings to get. I also picked an area that they told me to pick. And they told me, you door knock it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Then you go back to the office and you write your follow-up notes. Sorry, I missed you or good to see you at the door. So, I mean, I just literally, it's like somebody gave me a diet plan and I just stayed on the diet. Simple. That is wonderful. And it sounds like you followed that throughout your career. You find a, a plan and you execute it. I try. Yes. It's, uh, it is easier said than done. I mean, believe me, it wasn't without great heartache, learning, hardship. Uh, in the beginning, I must have showed a buyer, I don't know, for 10 months every weekend. And then they called me and said, we really like you so much, but we went into this open house this weekend and the agent told us we had to write the offer with them and we had to sell our house through them. I was crushed. I was absolutely crushed. So I, I learned by um, hard knocks. I learned by standing up, getting knocked down and getting back up again. After that occurred with the, the buyer that uh, purchased with someone else after 10 months, how did you adjust? Did you start to do a loyalty pledge or, or what did you do to solve that and, and not have that happen again? Well, I think the first thing I did was got up from my cubicle, walked into the conference room, shut the door and had a meltdown. Then <laughs> I figured, okay, there's, there's no crying in real estate, so get over it. Um, and I just figured that I would get buyers and sellers to, I would do my best to get them to commit to me up front and ask more questions and ask more pointed questions and, and get them to feel an obligation as much as possible. I mean, it's part of the industry. You're going to lose some no matter what, but I think it's a matter of fine tuning your scripts so that people feel committed to you if they're in fact comfortable working with you. Do you currently have any type of loyalty script or loyalty pledge that you walk through with, say, a buyer when you're working with them? Do you have a script that you could think of that you use today? At this point, it's a, 
it's, it's a loose conversation. And I just explain to them, I'm, I don't use a buyer broker agreement. Most of the buyers that I do work with at this point are referrals, past clients, etc. They're not cold buyers. I do have buyer's agents who help me with all of that. And I think the best way to go about it is to say to that person, look, for me, this is what works. I just say, look, I'm going to work really hard for you. I'm going to give 150%. And all I ask is that if you're comfortable with me, that you'll be loyal to me because you can go direct to the listing agent. You can, you know, do whatever you want to do. But I explain to them how it works. And I ask for their commitment. And I ask for their word. And most of the time I find if people look you in the eye and give you their word, most of the time, they'll be, they'll be loyal or at least they'll think second about it before they go, go do something to the contrary. Let's talk about, real quick, some of your production numbers. Last year, how many homes did you sell? It was just under 180 homes. Do you recall the volume? Approximately 100 million. Wow, that's excellent. Congratulations. Thank you. Do you recall how many homes you sold in your best year and what year that was? There was one year where we broke 400, and that did involve a lot of corporate sales. I think it was possibly 2010, uh, 2011. So in our market, obviously, I'm in the greater Los Angeles area, northern Los Angeles area, and we go through cycles as every market does. And I do both retail, and then when the market is not retail, I'm fortunate enough to cultivate the foreclosure market. Obviously, when there's a client who is corporate and can, you can earn their, um, their business and, and maintain and retain it, you can be fortunate enough to have a client who gives you volume listings versus one, one living room appointment, one listing, one living room appointment, one listing. So as, as an independent agent, when I was able to close 350, 380, 400 deals, it was a combination of both retail and, and foreclosure. But the foreclosure business is extremely difficult to get, and it's extremely difficult to, to keep the level of performance that is mandated is extremely high, as it should be. But a lot of people think, oh, that agent just has a ton of foreclosure business. It's a piece of cake. It is so easy to get fired in the world of REO, and you have to be on your game, and you have to, they, they make you perform to very specific matrix. Um, when it's not an REO market, I'll sell between 150 to 200 uh, retail versus um, the corporate. And it's a completely different part of your brain that you're using when you're dealing retail and when you're dealing corporate. Which parts of the brain are you using with each? Retail is extremely psychological. It's hand-holding. It's intensive counseling. REO, foreclosure, is extremely analytical performance-based. You have to tell them the price that it's going to sell for, and you have to be within 3% of that or you'll get fired. You have, you have a very – I'm not kidding. <laughs> you have, they, they set guidelines. They don't want to hear the, the conversation. Um, they don't want to – there's no talking. It's all done through portals and websites, and it's just – they run it like a business. And they understand the aspect of it, so it's all a matrix and it's all performance-based. 
What type of market are you in now? Are you in a market where you're, you're still selling a lot of REOs or has it transitioned back into retail? We are in a complete retail market. There are hardly any foreclosures in Los Angeles right now. I followed the statistics real closely from our board of realtors. And last month, there was, I believe, just under 1,100 total closed properties in the San Fernando Valley and 33 or foreclosures. So we are back to a regular retail market. We've started to touch base on it, but to clarify for everyone listening, where is Encino, California? It's Encino, California, and it's in the San Fernando Valley, which is in the northern part of Los Angeles. Um, I do cover the pretty much the entire valley from Calabasas to Sherman Oaks, from the north end of the valley, Northridge, Depending on where anybody is, they may not have ever heard of these places, but it's the northern part of, of Los Angeles. Could you please describe your current real estate market? Yes, and actually, I, I looked up the San Fernando Valley while we're online, and there are just under 2 million people in the San Fernando Valley. Wow, that's a big place. It is. It is a big area. It says the urbanized valley located in Los Angeles, north of the city. So, yeah, it is. It's a pretty 1.77 million people that are here. I did not know that. It is large. There's two parts there, right? There's Los Angeles City and then there's Los Angeles County? Correct. I am in L.A. City. I am still within the, the limits of Los Angeles City. Los Angeles County is a huge area. What type of properties are you selling there? I would say the average days on market is if you're, you know, it's all price related. It's all price for product and how somebody is, is pricing their property in conjunction with the condition, the location, et cetera. It's so simple at the end of the day. Uh, basic, I should say. So for, let's see, I'm looking at November in our market area. Actually, for November, it was 905 properties closed and 37 were foreclosures. I think I quoted you the month of October before. I just pulled this up on my screen. The average sales price is uh, in the entire San Fernando Valley is um, $572,900. Don't forget the $900. <laughs> and the, um, the average days on market is 94 that's per our board. And I would say, I mean, my numbers are, I, I don't discriminate. You know, I sell the inexpensive condo for, in our area, that would be, you know, 250, 350,000, all the way up to, you know, two to $3 million. It's my business at this point is heavily referral based. And I, and I don't discriminate if someone I have found over the years, you take care of the person who's got the inexpensive condo that they want to buy or sell. They're going to refer you to the person who has you know, other real estate and, and it's going to be, it's, I look at it as the client, not so much the, the price. Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? I would say it's primarily repeat and referral clients. Um, I've spent the past 27 years building up my reputation as a very agent-friendly agent. So the other brokers know if they bring a buyer to a Stephanie Vitaco listing, it's going to be easy for them. It's going to get done. Um, and as a result, I do get a lot of referral business from other agents. I get a lot of referral business from past clients, and that's, that's very important to me. Let's talk about how you're generating your repeating referral business from past clients and sphere of influence. 
first let's talk about your database itself. How big is the database of past clients and sphere of influence? I would say there's approximately 5,000 people on the list. It is a monster. It's such a hard thing to maintain. I find it difficult to maintain and keep up with it. Who do you keep on? Who do you take off? Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an ongoing, breathing entity. How do you decide who you put on your list and who you take off? Oh, it depends on the mood. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, pretty much, I mean, it's better to have, I think, too many than, than not enough because you never know where something's going to lead you. But um, I have a group of realtors that I do keep in touch with on my database. I have marketing and networking groups that are on my database. And then I have past clients on my database and future sellers on my database. Do you recall how many past clients you have in the database? I do not. My database right now is a mess. I, I must confess, I need to go through and clean it up. Right now, it just keeps getting added onto. That's an, that's an area of weakness at the moment, an area that needs some attention. Well, you've mentioned several different groups in there. You've got your past clients. You have other realtors. Do you have any idea what number or approximate number of people are realtors, uh, other realtors that you're marketing to? No, I don't. That's a good question. I should know the answer to that. I'm sorry. That's okay. Are you, are you marketing to realtors in your area or are you marketing to realtors, say, across the nation for referrals coming into your area? I would say um, heavily throughout Southern California, not in my market area, of course, but agents who know my reputation, who know me, that I've interacted with over the years. And it, it tends to be in California and then a little, I would say it's a little more in Southern California and then also some agents across the country as well but it's more concentrated if there's somebody, say, in Irvine who's going to have, you know, know a client that's moving down there that has a house to sell here in the Valley. I want them to think of me. What type of software do you use to manage your database? Dead silence, right? Um, so we have, <laughs> we have it's, on, it's on an Excel spreadsheet, and then it goes to the guy at the mailing house. Oh, Wow. Yeah, it's old school. I need to I need to revamp. So you have your entire 5,000 person database on an Excel spreadsheet? We do. When you're talking to people, do you keep notes inside of the Excel spreadsheet or is it just the very basic information? So that's just for my mailing list. I use I use Act for my um my database for my notes. Are all 5,000 people in Act? Yes. On the database itself, did you say that you do remove people from the database? And if so, why? Oh, God, if somebody dies, um, I don't remove too many. But if, if somebody, you know, moved completely out of the country or they've passed away or it would be something of that, of that. but it's, it just continues to grow. What type of information are you looking to capture on each lead? For instance, I assume maybe the name. Are you also looking for a mailing address, email, phone? What, what's most important to you that you want to capture? If they're a past client, I'm, if, I've sold, if I've just sold their house, I'm going to put into the, to the contact information everything about the, you know, all the basic details about their transaction and about the people, where they work, what they do, what they like, their dogs, their cats, their kids, 
where they were moving, why they were moving, what they bought and sold for, all of that. So I can reference the notes about them easily. Let's talk about how you're staying in touch with your, your database and in particular your past clients. How often are you contacting them and how are you contacting them? Are you making phone calls, direct mail, email? What does it look like in, say, over a year period of time in your follow-up with your past clients? We try to do a mailing piece once a month. I, I try to set them all up at once so that it's a no-brainer, and then once a month it just goes out as a, as a mailing piece. I also do, I'm known to contact people randomly. I'll see an article, I'll mail it to them, I'll send them an email. Sometimes I'll pick up the phone and call them if there's something that I think might be of interest to them. Send them silly little things in the mail if it's pertaining to their dog or their cat, something of, something of that sort. The mailing piece you're sending out once a month, what are you sending? Is it a postcard? Absolutely. It's a postcard. It's a four by six um, shiny postcard and it is simple. And I try to, I try to send out things that I find amusing um, or catchy or uh, cute, sometimes a little cheesy, uh, but not too cheesy. Just, you know, there was one that we sent out recently and it was a stack of hotcakes and it said, Stephanie is selling homes like hotcakes or something to that effect. And so it's just, but it was just a big picture of pancakes with the sold sign in the, in the corner or another one that was a picture of my, a close-up of my real estate sign with a sold sign on it. And then it said my favorite lawn ornament sent that out. So just real simple <laughs> things that make people look, hopefully smile and then throw it away. Or maybe they'll keep it for a little bit. Haha. So it's just, just to keep you in front of them, sounds like you have a, a picture on one side of something that, that caught your eye and hope, hopefully catches their eye. And it sounds like maybe some very limited text, just one or two lines. Yeah. Keep it simple. I don't send out recipes. I don't send out how to do. And probably because I don't read those things myself. So it's too much for me. It's, when I get one of those newsletters, it's, for me, it's too much to read. I'm like, oh, too much information. I like cute, catchy, witty witty pieces is what I try to shoot for. Do you have a picture of you on the front of that card as well? On the back of it. So on the front is the sold sign or the hotcakes or whatever the thing is. And then on the other side, it has my picture and it usually has um, bullets with my, with my stats and my phone number, of course. Maybe your website or email address? Correct. Yes. Basic contact information. And again, I like it clean, not too cluttered. Cause I know when I get postcards in the mail and there's too much stuff, you don't, I, I don't read it. It's too busy. It's distracting to the eye. So I try to make it clean and simple. And also I'm notorious for if I get something in the mail from like a bank or another company and I like it, I'll, I'll set it aside. I'll keep it. And then I'll have my marketing people make something similar to it. If it catches my eye and it makes me stop, then I figure it will do the same for someone else. Is the back full color as well, or is it black and white? Yes. Color on both sides. Do you make any type of specific call to action, say on the back, for instance, free home evaluation or free list of homes, anything like that? You know, I, I, I don't. I used to do that. I used to have a tear-off card for a home evaluation, etc. Now I just put my phone number and say, please call. How many 
of these postcards are you sending out each month? Approximately 5,000. Okay, so you're sending it to your entire database? Mostly, yes. How many calls do you think do you average each month coming back in or over the course of a year? You know, it's really hard to say because the mailing is a very passive marketing tool. People don't say, oh, I got your postcard, I'm calling. They'll call and they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, we see your signs, we get your stuff in the mail, we heard from so-and-so that you sold their house. So it's, it's a culmination. I, don't, I wouldn't say that I can attribute X number of sales to my mailing or X number of sales to this. It's an, it's an overall constant deluge of Stephanie onto them. So that sounds like that's your kind of your base or foundational marketing piece, this postcard. You also mentioned that you then if something catches your eye and you're thinking about someone in particular, you'll send them out a note or make a phone call or an email. Do you have a core group of people, say a a much smaller group of people than the 5,000 that are receiving these more intimate messages? I would say the clients that I'm personally closer to, I do tend to keep in touch with more frequently, but I'll, you know, I'm every day I'm out going from house to house, from property to property, listing appointment to another appointment. And as I'm driving through the Valley, I'll drive by a client's home or I'll be in that neighborhood of that client. I'll make myself a note, send them something, send them a card. So it's just, it's just constant. There's no rhyme or reason to it. It is not methodical. It's, I was in your neighborhood. I, I, was thinking of you, I just listed a home in a neighborhood and I had sold, it's a gated community, um, and I had sold five years ago to, one was five years ago, one was seven years ago to two clients. And so I just went back to the office, I took two scratch pads, I hand wrote a note on a scratch pad of mine that had my name on it, just said, hi, just thinking of you, I was in your neighborhood, I just listed one of your neighbor's homes, I hope you're okay. I went into act, looked up their kids' names, I hope, you know, Susie and Johnny are good, they've got to be 18 by now or whatever it is. I hope all is well, just thinking of you. Put that scratch pad and a pen in the mail. So now they have a scratch pad of me and a pen of me and a little handwritten note. Nothing, I don't think anything is better than a handwritten note. I know when I get a handwritten note, I keep it for a few days before I trash it. So it's much more effective than an email. Email, we get, you know, two, three hundred emails a day. It's so easy to delete. And some of them go into spam. A handwritten note shows up. You have to open it. It sits on your counter then you trash it. Or you keep the scratch pad and now I'm in their house for a good 30 days or so. Do you have an objective to send out a certain number of handwritten notes either per day, per week, or per month? I used to do that. I used to have my assistant give me five note cards pre-addressed and they would just go through the database and leave them on my desk. I must confess what would happen is depending on the day, I'd get busy and then the five would turn into 25 and then would turn into 50. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed. I can't do this. So, <laughs> so I stopped. <laughs> it's effective if you can keep up with it. But um, I did used to do the five a day. I'm, I'm, I'm being perfectly honest. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not doing that right now. I'm doing it haphazardly as it hits me, which I don't know that's the best way. In the beginning, stick to a regimen. Or if your business is slow, stick to a regimen. And yet currently you're selling uh, 130, 40, 50, 60, 70 homes a year. What else are you doing other than the mailing to stay in front of all these people that are generating all these referrals? 
That's a very good question. I think I'm just completely entrenched and submerged in, in what I do. This is, I breathe real estate. I do this 24 seven. It's what, it's what makes me go. So I'm constantly, I'm fortunate enough to have an incoming flow from my signs, from my name recognition, having, again, I've been doing this a very long time now and it didn't, it took a while to get the momentum going from other agents, from I go to network, I have belonged to two networking groups that I go to monthly. I interact with other, actually more than that, three, I think, a mastermind group with agents that I do that are local to the Los Angeles and surrounding area. It's internet. We get, I get leads from the internet. I get my, you know, our properties are now all over the place. And so random emails come in or calls come in as a result of being all over the internet. It's a lot. It's a lot of different areas. It's not any one. I wish I could say there's one magic bullet. It's just this or it's just this. For me, it's a little bit of everything. In listening to you, if I were to try to break some of that out, it sounds like you're getting a lot of business off of your listings, uh, sign calls, these internet leads are coming in from the advertising of the listings. You are heavily listing-based if I recall, you're something over 80% of your business is coming in from listings. Yes. Do you focus specifically on listings? How, how are you getting such a high percentage of listings of your overall business? I think past clients and referrals. You know, I'm looking at my calendar, and I'm just looking at the listing appointments that I've, that I've gone on. And just real, real briefly, I mean, here's one that came from an Internet referral. that. And by the way, most of these listings, I would say 90 8% of the listings that I go on, they're interviewing two to three agents. So even though it's referrals and past clients, they're still interviewing. So you always have to be on your, your you have to have your best presentation and you always have to do your full presentation. I never take it for granted that because somebody knows me or that because I've done business with somebody in the past that they're just only interviewing me. I always assume that they're interviewing other people, and most of the time I am right. Once in a blue moon, somebody will say, I'll say, how many other agents are you interviewing? And once in a blue moon, they'll say, Stephanie, we're only talking to you, and I want to just hug them. <laughs> but I never, <laughs> assume, I never assume that, and you can never rest on your laurels. But I'm just looking at my appointments for the past few weeks. Here's a listing that was an re uh, Internet referral. Here is a past client. Here is... Um, a referral from a real estate agent. Here is a, this, is, this one is interesting. This was a lead that was actually off of the internet, and, but I've kept in touch with these people for a year and a half. So it's a lead that comes in and then it's cultivating it. Another one was a past client referral. Another one was a past client referral. Another one was a real estate agent who referred me. Um, another one was a, a, a not a, well, he's a past client, but he was a property manager that I've done business with who referred me, so I guess fear of influence referral. Um, so it's, it's another internet referral, past client referral, neighbor, sign call. So it's, it's a mix. It's a huge mix. You mentioned that the majority of your listing appointments, there are multiple agents competing. Do you work to position yourself as the first agent in, last agent in? Does it not matter? No. I used to do that. I don't do that anymore. Now I just schedule it as soon as possible. I ask them when they're looking to make a decision. And then I always ask them how many agents they have left to interview. And then I do ask them at the end that 
if they, if I'm not the last agent in, that they give me an opportunity after they've interviewed all the agents that they're going to interview to answer any unanswered questions. And I let them know that, you know, they just sat with me for an hour and a half or two hours or however long it is. And by the time they get done with their two or three agents, they're going to be in a different spot mentally. And that I just ask for the courtesy to answer any unanswered questions or readdress anything. Cause I'm, I'm imagining that they're going to be overwhelmed and a lot of the data is going to be a blur. It sounds like you do a one-step listing presentation where you go out and your objective is to sign the listing on that one appointment? Well, it depends. I mean, usually, I find usually people are not ready to sign on the first time. They're usually interviewing two or three people. They want to think about it. They want to, you know, usually when they say what they want to think about it, they're continuing to interview. So I would say it's usually, it's the listing appointment And then usually it's, okay, we've decided to list the house with you, come back. I find most people are not impetuous about listing. They're gathering information. They're not ready to do it today. I mean, maybe 20% of the people are in a urgent mode, but most people plan it out. It's It's a huge, it's a huge, obviously, a huge process for anybody to sell their home. It's like working with the banks. It's a more of an analytical process than an emotional process, say, working with a buyer. Well, no, it's very emotional. I think they're gathering information. How does this work? How does this person, you know, as the agent, they're looking to us as the agent. How do we present? Are we going to be the best fit for them? Are we going to do the best job for them? Do we know what we're doing? All of that. It's, it's very emotional. Stephanie, what percentage of the listing appointments that you go on result in a listing? Approximately 83. Wow. Wow. So 83, so four out of five listing appointments you go on, they end up hiring you even though you're in competition. Yes. I'm competitive. What do you attribute that to? Is there some magic powder that you have in your listing presentation? or Why do you think that they're going with you rather than your competitors? After doing this as long as I have, I have a very strong presentation. I take great pride in what I do. And I, I know what I'm doing. When it, when it comes to a lot of things, I don't know anything. When it comes to real estate, this is what I know. This is all that I've done day in and day out for the past many, many, many years. So I, I, I know it very well. And I do believe I'm the best person for the job. And I explain why and how I'm going to help them with the process. I don't get them all. I don't like to lose. I look at each property as if it's my own and how I would handle it, and I try to convey that to the client. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Let's go back to past clients and sphere of influence, generating business there. Do you do any type of past client parties or events? I am not a good party person. Um, No, I don't. I probably should. I I do sometimes, I, I I do socialize with clients. My husband and I will go out to dinner with clients, but I don't do, you know, a big annual event or anything or anything like that. 
Do you make a certain number of phone calls out to your past clients in the sphere of influence, either per day, per week, or per month? No. Again, it's, I was in your neighborhood, and truly, this is what it is. I'll be on my way to a listing appointment, and I'll drive by three clients' houses, and I'll be like, oh, gee, i got to get in touch with them, and I'll make a note. And I'll, when I get back to the office or the next day or two, I'll send them a postcard or I'll send them something. I'll send them a scratch pad and a pen. I'm notorious for putting a scratch pad and a pen with a written, handwritten note in the mail to them, just thinking about you, hope all is well. Now they have a little, a little goodie, just a little something to throw on their kitchen counter, and they think of me. The scratch pad and the pen, that reminds me of when you started in the business and you were knocking on the doors and doing your follow-up pieces that you would mail out afterwards. Did you used to mail out a scratch pad way back then? So what I would do is when I door knocked, I would give them a scratch pad at the door, or if they weren't home, I would door drop the scratch pad. Then I'd go back to the office, and I had pre-written notes. I, um, my God, what were they called? I haven't done this in so long. They were just my follow-up notes, and one would say, sorry, I missed you uh, at the door the other day. I hope you found the scratch pad on your porch. Please keep me in mind if you hear of anybody looking to buy or sell. Or, it was good to see you at the door the other day. I hope you find use of the scratch pad or make use of the scratch pad. Please keep me in mind if, you're, if you know of anybody looking to buy or sell. And I would send those notes out religiously. It's effective. It's, a, it's really effective if you do it. It's like a diet. You have to stick to it. Your current scratch pad, how big is it and what is on it? It is, um, I think it's five by seven, and it's color, paper, it's lines. I like lines. I hate when I have scratch pads that don't have lines on them. It's messy. And it has my picture, and it has my phone number, and it has my website, and a little, I don't even know what the catch saying is, a little, a little tagline of something, credibility, experience, something, one more word. I don't have one in front of me, Sorry. So your contact information, your picture, and a bunch of lines to, for notes, and you said it's all color. And then it's, it's pretty big, five by seven, so that's a pretty big envelope that you're sending. It's an oversized envelope? Yep, correct. And I've done the skinny ones before, too, that are whatever, that fit in a regular envelope that are long and skinny with lines. I just, I change depending on when, I, when my supply gets low. What are we ordering this time? You mentioned you're getting a, quite a bit of referrals from other agents. Let's talk some more about how you're doing that. First, you mentioned that you're in these mastermind groups. You also mentioned you're mailing out to them. It sounds like you're mailing out the same thing that you're mailing out to your past clients. Is that correct? Yes. I don't want to kill any brain cells. When I send a mailer out, one mailer goes out. It's just to keep, you just want to keep yourself top of mind. That's all. That's how I do it anyway. Keep it simple. I find that when, I get th when things get too complicated, I don't follow through with them. So keep it simple. Get the piece out. You mentioned you're in three networking groups. Are those all three groups of other agents? No, actually, there's four. <laughs> two of them are with real estate agents, and two of them are business people, just business people from different attorneys, CPAs, just different business people, marketing people, all sorts of different business people, just business groups. Are there all leads groups? Is the objective of each group to hand out or refer leads to all the other members of the group? You know what? Not real intense. Um, the agent groups are to, to network with each other and, 
best practices, exchange thoughts and ideas. It's people that you know and like and that you want to you want to exchange and you want to everybody wants to do better. And then as a result, the byproduct is it's a, you know, it's other professionals that I know and trust and I would want to refer to them. And then with the business groups, it's it's the same thing. There's usually a topic for the month and then it's also just going around and you know, doing a little commercial on yourself, what you do. There's usually a question to answer that's interesting about the person and it's getting to know and network with these other people so that if I, if I do need a great estate attorney or if I do need a good lawyer for, you know, whatever it might be, I, have a, I know where I can refer my clients to and it comes back as well. The networking groups with the business people, are those formal groups that are established uh, with branches all throughout the country? What are the name of those groups, or did you establish them yourselves? No, one of them is um, a business alliance group that is just local, of local business people. And the other is a, I think it's now national, it's called Provisors. And it's a great group of business people. And I know they, they started in California, and I think they've recently gone into some other states. But it's primarily, I want to say it's primarily California. It's like-minded business people, and it's a, it's a good group. But there's no pressure. It's not like, oh, if, if you didn't give this many leads this month, you're out. But it's people that you get to know and like and trust. How many people are in those business groups? The meetings that I attend? Sure. I would say 20 to 30. The groups that are real estate agents, did you form those groups? Did you join groups that are already existing? And how big are they? There's one that's 12 people. I didn't form it. There was two agents who formed it, and I was invited into it. And then there's another uh, group that is about 30 agents, 25 to 30 agents. And I don't remember how that one even started. That it's been so long. But I was not the I was not the forming partner. So they meet once a month. Where do they meet? They meet at a coffee shop or somebody's office, or where do they meet the real estate groups? The real estate groups. One of them meets at a, a one same location. It's a restaurant every month. The same restaurant every month. And then the other one is back and forth between Southern California and Northern California, four times a year. And it is in, we pick a location that's close to LAX airport, and then we pick a location that's close to the Northern uh, California airport. And it's the same location, so it's easy. That's great. And just a group of agents put these together. Just they decided they wanted to, they wanted to network across California. Correct. That one's called All California Network. It's a good group, good agents. And it's, I mean, I get, I, I, it makes me feel good when I have a client who's moving up to Cambria and they need a good agent, I know who to call. Or it's moving up to San Francisco, I know who to call. I have, I have resources. And it's people I know personally. You know, what's really interesting is in, in talking with you and really going back over everything, over the past 27 years, I've really met some really wonderful people and really developed some great relationships where it's great to be able to refer other people and know that something good is going to come from it for them. If you had to guess, what percentage of your business is coming from networking? 20? You know, I don't know. 25? I don't know. I should know. 
I really don't know. Again, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm about the numbers at the end of the day, but I couldn't break it down and tell you where each one comes from. As long as it's coming in, I'm happy. Do you track the source of each lead or each closing in one of your databases? Yes, I do on a monthly basis. How do you determine what the source is? Do you ask people when they came in or do you have some kind of automated system that tracks them, you know, like a internet lead tracking? How do you track them just by asking them? Yeah. Well, I mean, most of the time I know where they came from. If it's somebody I know, otherwise, absolutely. I ask them, how did you get my information? And they'll tell me, so-and-so referred you. So you sold so-and-so's house. We've seen your signs all over the valley. You sold my grandmother's sister's house 10 years ago, whatever it is. And then I do make note of it. And at the end of the month, there's a report that my office generates for me that shows my total number of sales, my average sales price, if it was a buyer or a seller, and what the source was, past client, past client referral, sign call, internet call, agent referral, whatever it is, so that I can look at it and and see. So I could figure it out. I just have to go through the numbers and add them up. How often do you review that? Do you do that uh, monthly, quarterly, or annually? I look at it every month, and then annually I do one report that shows the breakdown total sales volume, total number of sales, total number of buyers, total number of sellers, average sales price, uh, where they came from. You're getting a lot of referral business. Do you ask directly for referrals? You know, I go through spurts. Um, I'm not real good at that. I need to get better at that. I don't know why so many of us have a, have a hard time with that. Um, I do ask them, you know, I'll try to ask them, please keep me in mind if you know of anybody. I, I need to improve on that. I don't have a set script. I used to have a part of my, where my assistants would ask. I feel funny asking. I don't know why. But I just hope that if they, if they know that I've done a good job, that they'll, that they'll refer me. But I probably should ask more directly more often. Not a bad idea. Sounds like it's happening organically, that you're out there, you're communicating, you're friendly, you're working with, would you consider this group of people your friends? Some of them, yeah, absolutely. Some, a lot of my clients have become my friends, definitely. And a lot of the agents too, of course. You're putting yourself out there and by doing so, business is coming back into you without directly asking for it. Yes, I would say it's more the soft shoe approach. Another question, when the recession hit, the Great Recession hit, it sounds like you were able to shift over and start working a lot of the REO business, working with a lot of banks. Did you pick up the buyers for the, the, the opposite end of the transaction, the co-op buyer? Did you try to pick those people up and put them in your database? Yes, absolutely. Well, no, not if it was another agent's buyer. Probably, again, another, another way to continue to expand. But if it was my own buyer, with, with, with the REO market, a lot of the buyers came direct to the agents because it was so competitive. And we did capture more buyers at that point in time, not because of anything genius that we did. It was the market that pushed it in that direction. And so uh, we, we kept in touch with those buyers that we sold our own REOs too. If there were an agent listening to us and they wanted to expand their 
repeat and referral business. Do you have any advice for them? Stay in touch with your clients. Mail to them regularly, whatever you're comfortable with. Send notes. Call them if you're comfortable with phone calls. Email if you're comfortable with emails. Find. I think what's most important is you have to find what works for you as an individual and what your comfort level is. I probably don't call people because I'm not a chit-chatter, and so I don't like incoming calls just for chit-chat. So I much prefer something that shows up that's in the mail. So that's what I tend to do. Uh, everybody has a different style and a different way of, of how they like to do things. But I think that the most important thing for your repeat, people want to know that you're thinking about them. I think there's nothing more effective. There's these stuffed mice that are the size of your hand that I found at a store, and I thought they were hysterical for anybody who has cats. It's a cat toy. So I bought a half a dozen of them. And anytime I have a client who's a cat lover, I send them one. And then they usually like a picture shows up in my email. My kitty Samson loves the toy. You know, just thinking of you, thought, thought Samson might like this. Just silly, stupid stuff. Keep in touch. Do you do any type of connection with your sphere of influence of past clients through social media? I do. I'm a big Facebook user and I use it for social media. I'm on LinkedIn, although I don't think LinkedIn is as effective as Facebook is in just staying in touch with your past clients for those who are on it. And I have two, I have two Facebook sites. I have one that's my real estate for real estate posting. And then I have my personal page, which is really not a personal page. It's a business. I use it for business. I, I never post anything controversial. I don't post anything political. I post things that I think are amusing. So, and I have clients who are on it and they see it and they, again, it's top of mind. They see your posts, they see you and it makes me laugh. I figure it's going to make somebody else laugh, hopefully. So it sounds like a lot of your marketing is based on humor. Yeah, keep it light. <laughs> make people <laughs> smile. If somebody, I remember people who make me laugh. Otherwise, it gets boring. Stephanie, let's switch gears. Let's talk about your team. Who's on your team? I have an, pretty much an office manager slash they're also the primary um, escrow offer coordinator, if you will. They assist me with the processing of the counter offers and the entire process from the time we go into escrow until it closes. So they're helping me troubleshoot all the problems that go through with the loan and the appraisal and the termite and whatever other issues there are, interfacing with the clients and explaining to them along with me what's happening and, and what's going on. I have a marketing person who helps me with all the front-end marketing aspects of things. That person also helps me with whatever we do have left in our REO pipeline, billing, cash for keys, lockouts, that whole aspect, which is, again, it's a very, very small part of our business at this time because of the, of the current um, financial environment. I have one woman who she's my transaction coordinator. She handles and manages all of the paperwork. I have a listing coordinator. He's the one who inputs all the listings, make sure the photos are done, lock boxes are on. We have a software program that emails the agents after they show the property to get feedback. I get feedback reports weekly on my listings and on my escrow so I can call my clients once a week at least and update them so they know what's going on with their property and they're in tune and sync to what's happening. 
I have a buyer's agent, but she's more than a buyer's agent. She helps me with the overflow and the functions of the office. And then we're um, actually this year, coming year, we're looking to expand. We're working on expanding our buyer's team because we do have so many. We're fortunate enough to have so many incoming buyer leads and we need to better, we want to better capture those and better service those. That's the, that's the overall. Are all the people on your team licensed? No, I would say half of them are licensed. It just depends. I'll hire somebody who doesn't have a license and then we'll work toward getting their license. Obviously, the people who are doing license activities must have a license. How do you pick the right people for each position? Good Lord, that's the million-dollar question. Holy schmoly. I think the hardest thing about being a successful realtor is is managing employees and staff. It's tough. Um, we tend to be, uh, the other top producing agents that I know tend to be really good salespeople and not really good managers. My staff, I've, I've literally had my staff help me with the process when we need to hire somebody new because I'm, that's not my skill set. That's not what I'm good at. I think everybody can just, you show them a dance step and they can do the dance routine and it's not quite that way. So we also resorted to having, we'll hire somebody, but we'll say, okay, you're going to come in for a week or you're going to come in for three days and we're going to do tryouts. We're going to see how you, you know, what you know, how you flow. Because on an interview, in a two-hour interview, or even two few-hour interviews, it's really hard to determine what somebody is, what somebody's skill set is, what their strengths and weaknesses are. I mean, it's like dating. You don't know where the person squishes their toothpaste till you're living them. If they do it in the middle or they roll it from the bottom, and you, you, it's it's difficult. And you don't want to hire somebody and go through that commitment and then go, oh my God, what have I done? Which that's happened many a time. And then it's painful to let them go, and it's costly. So it's it's difficult. And sometimes I find I've hired the most experienced people and they couldn't tie their shoes. And then I've hired people who had no experience and boy, they were just smart and caught on. So it's 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 a roll of the dice a lot of times. It sounds like you're mitigating that roll of the dice by putting them on a probationary period or a testing period. How long is that probationary period? So usually there's a testing period of, okay, you're going to come in these three days for four hours at a time and you're going to be, you know, given some tasks and some work and we're going to see how you do it. And then if they pass that, then usually there's a a 30-day and then a 90-day. Also sounds like your staff is the one that is doing a lot of the selection or the selection process. Is that true? They help me. They're very instrumental in it. So they'll go through the resumes. I mean, I do as well, but they'll do a big bulk of it. And many times they'll do the first interview, and then if they think it's somebody good, then I'll do the second interview. Do you use the DISC personality test, the DISC? Yes, we have, and it is effective. I think it's important so that you know what um, you know what type of a person you want in the office. For a while there, I had a whole bunch of high D's, and it, we were all butting heads. Um, so I think it's important, and of course, for anybody who doesn't know what the DISC test is, Google it, and it'll describe the the four the four basic personality types. But obviously, there's some profiles that are much better suited for an in-office job versus an out-in-the-field job, and that's important. 
Have you tested yourself? What are you on the, the disc test? I'm a high D and a, and a C, but a very high D. But then I, I'm a controlling freak too, so there comes the C. <laughs> I like everything perfect in a non-perfect world. Do you have any tips for people that are listening for how they would manage a team or, or manage people in particular? Find somebody who can do it really well and have them do it for you if it's not your skill set. And that's hard. That's not easy to do either. I go back and forth all the time. And so that's a, a bit of delegating. You're, you're talking about uh, find somebody you can delegate the task to? Yep. Unless you're a good manager. And yet you're a control freak, so that has to be difficult. Oh, inner turmoil. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you do so you it. No, to... I'm doing it. No, you do it. No, I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, I make everybody crazy, so I've been told. Have you figured out a way to resolve that? Do you try to limit your time talking to them and somehow let them do it on their own? How, how have you resolved that conflict? Having a team, having staff, having people that you work with and that work for you, it's it's a challenge, and especially in a small business environment, I think for any business, be it real estate or any small business environment, I don't say there's any resolution to it. I have not mastered that, it's, and it depends on who you have. You know, People come and go. People stay with you for 10 years, and then they move out of the area, or they get divorced, or they decide they want to go out and sell real estate on their own, or whatever the, the issue might be. So it's constant change. And it's trying to get people who can handle the pressure and handle the, the, the tasks at hand and have a good attitude and you know, have the technology skills. It's, it's like, I think, like any business. I think any business is, is the, the, the people are the most important part, and it's, it's difficult. And so it's an ongoing, breathing, living entity that we deal with on a regular basis. Do you have systems in place for when people leave, it's easier to plug a new person in? We try. I mean, we do have systems that are in place, but again, the systems are only as good as the people who are implementing them or have the capability to implement them. But we do. We have systems in place, and we really try to adhere, adhere to them and keep everything focused and as streamlined as is possible in what is just by nature a chaotic business. Well, I know a lot of people are listening to us and that there's a question on their mind, are you profitable? Yes, otherwise I wouldn't do it. Absolutely. Would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit is as a percentage of revenue? I'm not 100% certain, but I think it's probably, I would say probably 20 to 25% of my overall uh, revenue is for running my, my office, my staff, my team, et cetera. And I'm not 100% certain, but I would say it's probably somewhere in that ballpark. Wow, that's awesome. So, so if I understand that correctly, then that's about 75% net profit margin so if $100 came in the top of your business, then about $75 would, would go home with you. Does that sound about right? I would say that's pretty close, give or take. I don't want to be a liar, but I would say it's pretty <laughs> close. I just haven't, I haven't crunched the numbers completely, but I would say it's approximately it's going to be in there. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's fantastic. Congratulations. Before taxes, then they take a whole big chunk. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Uh, here's another question along those lines. Do you pay yourself a salary or do you just take the profit out each month or each quarter? So I'm incorporated and my corporation pays me monthly. And then at the end of the year, my CPA balances it out. Do you recall if it's a S corp or a C corp? It's an S corp. Uh, S corp. So it's all passed through uh, as far as there's no double taxation. Correct. Smart. That's important. We all pay a lot of taxes. And so, <laughs> you know, past the, I've been advised that the S corp is the best way to go for a business person of the size business that I have. Stephanie, what drives you? I like the action. I like what I do. I like to be good at something. My father told me when I was very young, pick one thing and do it really well. So that's what I've tried to aspire to. I like to, I think we all like to be successful at something. I think we like to get gratification from our work. I get tremendous gratification from what I do. And I do, I like the action. I like the people most of the time. Why have you been so successful? I'm dedicated and persistent. I don't give up. I find a way. If somebody tells me no, I will find a way. Stephanie, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? I would tell them probably the same basic four things that that the person told me at the beginning, sit open houses, put buyers in your car, go door knocking in an area consistently. And you can't take floor time anymore, but make cold calls within the current guidelines of the no cold calling or, you know, ask other agents for, for their calls if they're not going to return them. Cause a lot of agents don't return their own buyer calls. Stephanie, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with mastermind agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. On every panel that I've sat on or every group mastermind interview that I've been involved with, I always bring a pad of paper and a pen and I take notes from the other agents because there's so many different ways to skin a cat. And I'm, I always am looking for better ways to do things. I'm always looking to tweak my systems, to tweak my skills, to take it up one notch, to step it up. And I'm always looking for, for ways to do that from other people, what's been effective for them. So definitely, I think that we all, it's an exchange of information and don't reinvent the wheel. Find out what somebody else did, what worked for them, and then, and then follow it to the best of what works also for your personality and your style. Well, Stephanie, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, I'm just very appreciative and grateful to be asked to do this and participate in this program. And um, I appreciate the opportunity. Well, Stephanie, thank you for sharing today. You showed us how to get a quick start by listening to the agents who have succeeded before us how to win in recessions and expansions by changing your business model to match the times, how to stay in touch with our past clients with personal notes, personal gifts, and networking, how to attain an 83% success rate on listing appointments, and your competitive spirit. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent 
of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 188 homes last year worth $24 million while building an incredible personal wealth real estate portfolio. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.